So um, this morning, uh, like I said, we'll be in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at two stories uh, in the life of Jesus, early in the, in the public ministry of the life of Jesus. Uh, very familiar stories, one about the healing of a leper, one about uh, the forgiveness of, of a paralytic. And uh, so, so what, we're, what we're interested in are, are kind of two, taking these two snapshots of Jesus and using them to help us reflect on and embrace and cultivate uh, a deeper gratitude for the beauty of Christ. That's, that's what we're after. That's what we want this morning. There are, in these two stories that are sequential, um, wind up being two main questions that get asked and two main aspects of Jesus' character that get emphasized. The first one, uh, in the case of the, the healing of the leper, the question is, is Jesus willing to heal? Is he willing to heal? In the case of the forgiveness of the paralytic, the question will be, is he able to forgive sin? So is he willing and is he able? And, and boy, those are just such important characteristics to recognize as being fused in the life of Christ, that he is both willing and, as our sermon title says this morning, strong to deliver, that he is compassionate and that he is powerful. And, and we find that for the salvation of the sinner, both of those things must be true. It is not enough for Jesus compassionate and not capable, capable and not compassionate, right? If he were, if he were not capable, he might feel your pain, right? He might be really good at expressing compassion. We would still be commit of sin. Conversely, if he is powerful, if he is able to do something about our predicament of sin, if he is not, then the fact that he has the power in the to do something doesn't necessarily make him willing to spend that power on our behalf. So the good news for us this morning is that we see in Jesus in the sequencing of these two stories, we see both elements, the compassionate willingness to heal and the strength uh, to, to deliver. So just, I know you guys haven't been moving through, through Mark's or Luke's gospel, sorry, uh, here recently. So just to kind of set the stage where this is in Luke 5 relative to the rest of the story, Jesus has, uh, in the previous chapters, he's been commissioned to public ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been about the business um, of beginning his ministry in a way that he's, he's kind of reclaiming his world, uh, a world that is now at odds with its maker due to sin. So he's been driving out demons. He has rebuked fevers. He has preached the good news. And he has been calling, even in the most recent passage, some of his disciples, some of his apostles. And, and as Jesus is, is, is progressively pulling back the cloak on who he is, uh, revealing who he is and what he's, he's come to do, that, that, that adds clarity to his, ident his identity and mission. But the other thing that happens is that it's, as it's becoming more clear who Jesus is, the responses to Jesus begin to diverge. Okay? As his claims become more specified and more direct, the responses begin to diverge, and we're going to see some of that uh, this morning. A big part, a big part of what's going on here is a, a person's recognition of their need for Jesus contrasted with others who do not recognize their need for Jesus. We'll see that in the pairing of the story of the healing of the leper and then uh, the paralytic in the first one, 
It's a cleansing of physical and social contamination. And the second one, it's an even clearer expression of Jesus' not only willingness but ability to cleanse the contamination of sin that separates us from God. So uh, let's ask the Lord's help as we enter into this time this morning. Heavenly Father, I just I commit the remainder of this message uh, this morning to you in the context of this congregation. Surely there are some who came to worship this morning with a deep sense of their need for Jesus. And I pray that you would accentuate that and also help those find their souls rest again, or perhaps for the first time in Jesus this morning. Others perhaps uh, arrived with less of an acute sense uh, of their, uh, their awareness of their need for Jesus. And, and Lord, where that may be the case, I pray that you would prick consciences and prick hearts and, and, and use these passages to help uh, awaken a recognition for that need and the encouragement to find that need met uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we consider these two snapshots of the beauty of Jesus' character, uh, would he be exalted and may we be edified. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're going to start with the first story, which takes place uh, beginning in uh, verse 12. So I'll read that from Luke 5 beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So uh, in this story we have a leper approaching Jesus. He is in a terrible predicament. The description of leprosy in the New Testament, the term for leprosy in the New Testament and the Old, actually described a variety of skin diseases. Uh, it, could cover, it could cover a number of them. But whatever it was, in this man's case, it was severe. And, and Luke tells us that this man was full of that disease, which, again, leads both to social contamination, physical contamination, social isolation. Uh, Leviticus 13 and 14 are kind of the background to the way that leprosy and other forms of skin diseases would, uh, w- would isolate and, and, and quarantine, talk about social distancing, right, so to speak, a person like this. I'm just going it's to, not, it's not in your bulletin, but I'm going to read two verses from Leviticus 13 just to kind of frame the context into which this man has been living for apparently some time. This is Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. Here's the instructions for the leprous person. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, so the prescriptions for the leprous person who has not been healed, right, require the leprous person, one, to make himself or herself look like someone that the rest of the community would want to stay away from. The way he dresses, does what, what, what he does with his hair, what he cries out in the presence of other people, it's, it's all 
uh, it's all set up to drive other people away, right? To look as, as, as uh, intimidating as possible, unclean as possible, to declare one's uncleanness. And, and the result and implication, of course, is, is that this person then lives alone. We have lived for a period in our own recent experience of social distancing for some, that's included various forms of isolation. We know, not to the degree that this person has, but we know that can wear a person down, don't we? Some of the most depressing and lasting images, whenever, whenever this COVID season is passed, most depressing and lasting images that will stick with me are images of isolated hospital patients, particularly early on in the, in the, uh, the COVID phase, like our, our experience as a nation with COVID. Isolated hospital patients whose loved ones, even as they approach their the moments on their deathbed were not allowed to be with them. It wasn't too long ago, I went back and, and watched a video of, uh, of a family whose uh, the mother and grandmother um, uh, of, to this family was, was passing away. And uh, the, at that particular point in time, the best that the medical personnel could justify was taking a tablet into her so that sons, daughters, Grandsons, granddaughters, family members could say goodbye over Skype, which I suppose is better than nothing. But talk about isolation that is soul-crushing. And this guy, right, is, is experiencing that in an extreme degree, right? What, in, in his own experience of isolation and desperation, he violates the protocols, Right? Supposed to stay away from people. Unclean, unclean. Lean into isolation. He comes to Jesus instead. His desperation motivates him to move towards Jesus. He's probably heard of Jesus' power because uh, report is getting out in the vicinity by this time now. It seems that the leprous man has absolutely zero doubts about Jesus' ability to heal. He doesn't doubt that Jesus can heal him. His question is, are you willing? What a scary, risky thing for this guy to do. He's violating the protocols. What if Jesus scolds him? What if Jesus condemns him? What if Jesus flees from him? At the same time that it's scary and a movement born out of desperation, here's, here's the really good thing we see in this guy's movement towards Jesus. He has abandoned all hope of self-deliverance. That's really good news. That's a good place for him to be. So with, with massive humility, he approaches Jesus and he makes no demands. He has no expectations that he is entitled he just falls on his face and he begs Jesus for mercy. In other words, he gets something of his need for Jesus, doesn't he? And again, that recognition in and of itself is a tremendous mercy because as we said at the outset this morning, those who don't recognize their need for Jesus cannot receive his gifts. We must recognize our need to be willing to receive. Now, just as a quick sidebar, again, I know most of you, I don't know, uh, extensively, don't know what your uh, physical burdens or physical ailments of life or even this recent season have been.
But I do want to be I do want to to, to to be specific and say this passage is not saying that if you have some kind of physical burden or physical ailment and you haven't been healed of it, it's not saying that it, that's because you haven't believed enough. Okay? This, there's no reason to think from this passage that this man's disease, or yours, if you're wrestling with one, is somehow the direct consequence of some specific sin. There's nothing in either passage that would lead us to think that. At the same time, at the same time, we do recognize that disease and ailment and infirmity, generally speaking, are a consequence of the fall. And since we are all in Adam's fallen line, we are all vulnerable to disease, to disability, and ultimately death. Okay? Now, more on that in a bit, so we're just going to kind of close that sidebar for a minute. But for now, for now, the point is that the look of deliverance must be a look away from the self and to Christ. Because the look to the self for a deliverance will not suffice. We talked about Jesus being both willing and strong to deliver at the outset of the message. We would, if we could, deliver ourselves, wouldn't we? We are absolutely willing to deliver ourselves from ailment or, or, or sin or other issues. We would if we could. The problem is we are willing and not able. That's why the look to the self does not suffice. Like the leper, we must also come to the end of ourselves so that we look away from self and to Christ. Now, keep in mind um, that, so, so, so biblically speaking, uncleanness on the outside, while it is its, its, its own issue, is also a picture of the greater inward uncleanness of sin. Okay? It's, it's, there's, there's kind of an object lesson in, in his leprosy. Right? It's, an out, it's an outer picture of the inward condition of what our sin looks like. To a holy God. Now, physical suffering can be debilitating. I imagine at least some of you probably know that fairly well. But, and we don't, we don't, we don't want to minimize any physical suffering to make this point. But, but, but in, in acknowledging that, again, it is an object lesson and it's a glimpse on what we need in an even greater fashion than deliverance from physical suffering. We certainly pray for relief, right, for one another's physical limitations and, and, and disabilities. But we need to have the eyes to see that that's pointing to an even greater need. All right, so what's Jesus do in this passage with this, with this guy? The, so keep in mind the religious context of this, uh, this time in redemptive history, the assumption was, and this is why, why the leper had to live alone, the assumption was that unclean, Things or persons contaminate clean things or persons. Okay? The, the, the operating assumption is that the unclean contaminates the clean. That's why you've got to keep the unclean outside the camp, away from people, and, you know, saying things like unclean, unclean, whenever, whenever somebody else comes near. So everybody else moves away from this guy. They see him, they move in the opposite <clears throat> direction. Jesus, by contrast, demonstrates his willingness to heal this guy in the most astounding manner. Do you see it? Jesus moves towards this guy and heals him by touching this man. The very thing that everyone else thinks will contaminate Jesus. Look at verse 13 again. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, 
saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Think of all the ways that Jesus could have healed this guy. If Jesus wanted to, he could have healed this guy from a distance of 50 yards by hollering, hey, you're, you're clean. He could do that. Okay, again, when everybody else is fleeing from and avoiding physical contact with this guy, Jesus not only heals him, not only relieves his uh, physical uncleanness, but does something about his social isolation and social contamination by moving towards him and touching him. When well, We don't know how long this guy's been, been uh, suffering from this condition of leprosy, but if he's full of it, it's probably been a while. When is the last time this guy has felt the compassionate touch of another human being? We have no idea. It's probably been a really, really long time. And, and every previous contact or interaction with other human beings has ended one of two ways. Right? Door, behind door number one is self-deprecation. Unclean, unclean, get away from me. Behind door number two is rebuke. You should have said unclean and you didn't. Get away from me. Again, you, 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 can almost, you can almost sense the weight on the soul. So how merciful is Jesus to this guy? Right? Not, what, what, not, only, not only is he relieving him of his physical uncleanness, but he is showing him affection and social acceptance. Fascinatingly and counterintuitively, everybody expects unclean transfers to clean. That's not what happens here. It works in the other direction, doesn't it? Jesus' cleanness transfers to this guy's uncleanness. So, so all of a sudden, we're no longer thinking about the contagion of leprosy. If you want to think of it this way, we're instead thinking about the contagion of Christ's purity. Isn't that fa- that's, what, that's what's contagious here. Not the, le- the leprosy is overpowered by the contagion of Christ's cleanness and so Jesus gives to this man even more than he asks, doesn't he? He restores him physically and socially. And that's what he's getting at when he says, right, in fulfillment of Leviticus 14, okay, now go and show yourself to the priest. Because you're not only cleansed, you're going to be considered ceremonially clean and welcome back into the community. So, perhaps some of you this morning feel unclean spiritually the way this guy felt unclean physically. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but maybe some of you here feel or have felt before outside the scope of God's love. Maybe some of you have thought of yourselves at times as wondering, if I were to meet Jesus, would, would he turn his back on me? Would he look at me and think, too unclean? Friend, I want you to know you don't have to wonder if Jesus is willing to move towards you. You don't have to wonder if he's willing to cleanse you. Our passage shows it. Spectacular willingness, right? Think of uh, 1 John 1, 9, another familiar passage where John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no uncleanness too great for Jesus, provided that we recognize our need and come to him. Doesn't matter if you're looking to Jesus for the first time or for the 10,000th time. 
He is willing. He wants to move towards you. He wants to touch you. He wants to deliver you. And to pick up the sidebar from a moment ago, for his sheep, that will also include physical healing. It may not include physical healing uh, in, in accordance with your timetable or your sense of exactly what that should look like. But Jesus redeems all persons. So when it comes to redemption in Christ, the removal of physical suffering is simply a question of when, not if. It's not a question of if. There will be wholeness in Christ. Consider where Jesus himself is ultimately going. Right? He, he is going... In, in, in his own relationship with his heavenly father, he is going to ask for a great personal deliverance. And he is going to be told, not this time. He is going to be told, can't go around this one, son. You must go through it. So Jesus chiefly knows what it, what it is like to feel abandoned by God. You may have felt that way at times in your own experience of suffering. And I just want to say that it is, that it is no diminishment, diminishment of the significance of your hurt and your pain to say that if you have felt that way before or feel that way today, you are in the very best of company. Where Jesus goes, you will also go. Not only can he sympathize, Jesus is the deepest proof that what may feel like abandonment to one of his sheep is not, in fact, ultimately abandonment. He takes that for us, right? So that you and I, who actually deserve such abandonment, would not have to experience it. And the good news is, you don't have to know, the, the, in, in crystal clear detail, the full particulars of the timeline of your entire story to trust him. All you have to know is his heart. All you have to know is his power, which we're getting to, and his willingness to move towards you. And that part, the willingness, is what this particular story so beautifully displays. But again, Jesus wants to do more than just uh, heal us from physical infirmity. So we turn our attention to the next story. I'll pick it up in verse 17. Uh, this is the story of the uh, healing of the of the paralytic. <clears throat> so in verse 17, we read, On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, 
He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. Okay, so uh, aside from the priest, the leper had been instructed to tell no one, right? Probably to uh, avoid confusion at that point in Jesus' ministry about his messianic mission, right? But word gets out nevertheless, so the crowds start to get larger. And the religious officials begin to take more interest in who Jesus is. Uh, The leper came alone. The paralytic is carried by friends, four friends, Mark tells us it's four, uh, who understand their need to get this guy to Jesus. They understand how deep the need is, so when they're blocked by the crowd, they lower him through a hole in the roof, right? They create a hole in the roof and lower him through. And so, and so when Jesus speaks to the paralytic, we're told it's in recognition. Did you, did you catch this detail? It's in recognition of their faith, okay? Um, Probably, I think almost certainly, that is inclusive of the paralytic's faith, too. It is hard to imagine these friends carrying the paralytic to Jesus against his will. It is harder to imagine Jesus pronouncing forgiveness over the paralytic if it were in the absence of his own faith. But make no mistake, the faith that is at work here absolutely includes the faith of the friends going to extravagant lengths to get their friend to Jesus. Now, beyond that observation, we really don't know a lot <coughs> about these, these guys uh, from, from the scriptures, but they are the very best kind of friends, doing, doing everything they possibly can to get a brother, to get a friend in the company of Jesus. We need friends like that, don't we? We need to become friends like that. You guys are That's something you guys are cultivating here in this context as a local church together, trying to become the kind of friends who would help one another. Sometimes you need to be carried. Sometimes you need to do the carrying, don't you? Of, of, of uh, fellow church family members to the Lord, to have that emphasis. These guys impressed me so much uh, that that I, I dug up a sermon by Charles Spurgeon on this. The title of the sermon is Carried by Four. It's a great sermon. You, it's, you can find it for free on Google. It would be a good way to spend your afternoon. Um, I, I had a hard time deciding what not to quote <laughs> from this sermon by Spurgeon. So let me just highlight a few features of the kind of, of friendship and discipleship that that he spotlights here before we move on. So um, to kind of boil it down, I mean, so, so one, one example he gives is he gives the example of, of a wife with a son and two daughters who, whose uh, father uh, and, and husband is, is unbelieving. And he gives the example of what it would be like for them to, to carry their husband and father to Christ by prayer. Uh, he gives several examples of what it looks like in the context of local church for people partnering together to carry uh, others either inside the context of the congregation or outside of that to Jesus. But, but then here, here's the part I will uh, 
I'll sound bite for you. Um, in, in kind of talking about that in the context of the local church, he says, referring to these four carrying the paralytic, he says it was a very singular action which the bearers performed. Who would have thought of breaking up a roof? Nobody but those who loved much and much desired to benefit the sick. Little, so close quote for a moment. So, so then uh, he goes on a little bit more, and then he anticipates an objection that people in the church might offer, and, and he answers the objection. So back to the quote. Some of you say, ah, oh, but we cannot be of any use. We wish we could preach. And thinking that's the way that, that they can help somebody else hear Spurgeon's answer. These men couldn't preach. They didn't need to preach. They lowered the paralytic and their work was done. They could not preach, but they could hold a rope. We want in the Christian church not only preachers but soul winners who can bear souls on their hearts and feel the solemn burden. Men who it may be cannot talk but who can weep, who cannot break other men's hearts with their language, but who break their own hearts with their compassion. Close quote. He goes on and on. It's just, it's really, really good. Now, just very quick. If you know Charles Spurgeon, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. That's not what he's saying. He is talking about uh, the life of the church in which there is a diversity of giftedness in the, in the joint pursuit of, of kingdom ministry. And he's saying, make your contribution. Right? You don't, you, in other words, you don't, you don't have to be the pastor. You don't have to be the preacher to make a contribution to carrying others towards Jesus. Allow the diversity of giftedness in the context of the unity of the body to, you know, basically all grab a different corner of the palette <laughs> is, is what he's talking about. And so uh, carry others to Christ. Okay, enough on Charles Spurgeon. Um, here's the amazing thing with this guy, <clears throat> the paralytic. He was brought to Jesus to be healed. He would leave healed and forgiven. Okay, he asked for one thing, like the leper, and he got far more. Again, physical healing is not unimportant to Jesus' ministry, but it is not the crux of what he came to do. And we see in this story, Jesus is forcing the issue of who he is and why he came. And this is going to force a division in how people respond to him. So the leper wanted to know if Jesus was willing to heal. In this passage, the scribes and the Pharisees get really angry at Jesus for claiming to be able to forgive sins in the manner that he claims. Look again at verse <coughs> 21. Uh, scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, why do they, why do they, why do they hear Jesus interacting with this paralytic and think that Jesus is blaspheming? Why do they draw that conclusion? This is critical, okay? Enforcing the issue of his identity, Jesus is claiming to forgive as only God can forgive. He's claiming to forgive in the way, a way that only God can forgive. Let's, let's unpack this. First, Jesus has never met this guy before, the paralytic. They're not prior acquaintances. Past history together. 
Meaning, this man's sins were never directly and personally against Jesus. When Jesus says to the paralytic, I forgive you, he is not saying, hey, Bill, you remember that time you stole five denarii from me? I forgive you for that. That's not what is happening here. Okay? In other words, when he is saying to this man, your sins are forgiven, that were never personally committed against me, he's not just saying that I, I, you know, I, I let that go in our relationship. He's saying your debt before God is canceled. So when they hear him making this claim and they conclude it's blasphemy, it's not because they've misunderstood him. Now, they are wrong in their conclusion because he does, in fact, have the authority to forgive as God forgives. But they hear the nature of the claim correctly the ability to forgive in this manner we can have been that have been committed against us so if i steal five dollars from oscar and i feel really bad about that after coming under conviction and david and i say david i stole five dollars from oscar i feel so bad about that would you please your heart is in the right place brain's got a little catching up to do sin against me, you sinned against Oscar, you need to seek reconciliation with him. This man claiming to do so as only God can do. Secondly, again, only extend forgiveness relationally. So in my little illustration with Oscar and David, let's David straightens me out, and I finally do go to Oscar, and I say, hey, you know what? I'm, I stole $5. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Here, let me return the $5 to you. And, uh, and Oscar says, I forgive you. Okay? What does that accomplish? That amends the relationship between Oscar and myself despite my sin. But what it still does not do is cancel my debt before God. Oscar doesn't have that power. Jesus is precisely claiming to cancel divine debt. And the reason that he can do that is because as God the Son, he is every sin. That's what the Pharisees hear him saying. And again, they are hearing him correctly. Possible to get our response to Jesus wrong, not only on the basis of misunderstanding. That can happen. Sometimes we misunderstand the claims of Jesus. We need good teaching. We need discipleship. We need training. We need explanation. It is possible to get our response to Jesus wrong when we understand exactly what he's saying and do not like it. That's what's happening here. The issue here is not confusion but hard-heartedness. He, again, is forgiving as the one who has full prerogative to cancel the debt of sin because he is fully God. He is able because of who he is. So after Jesus pierces their thoughts, he goes a step further in forcing the claims about his identity. He goes on 23 to say, uh, which is easier to say? Say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Now think carefully about this for a moment. The easier thing to say 
is your sins are forgiven. That's easier to say. Why? Because it's not verifiable. In other words, if, if, he, goes, if he goes with your sins are forgiven, and the moments after he makes that pronouncement, none of the witnesses to that encounter will be able to tell if that actually happened or not. They won't, be able to, they won't be able to see inside the relationship between the paralytic and the Lord. They won't be able to tell. It is harder to... Uh, it, 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 so, so, so that's easier to say. So because it's easier to say, down in verses 24 and 25, Jesus basically says that in order to demonstrate my authority to forgive the spiritual paralysis of sin... I will go ahead and show you my power over physical paralysis. So he, he, he performs the healing, right? Which is verifiable in order to demonstrate his power over physical sin and support the conclusion of his power over the spiritual paralysis of sin. But keep in mind that while it is easier to say your sins are forgiven, when it comes to which of those two things is harder to do, it is actually harder to do the forgiving of sins. It's easier to say, harder to do. Why? Because in order to fulfill that promise, Jesus himself must drink the cup of God's wrath against us and our sin. Jesus does not just forgive by mere dismissal, but by payment in our place. The cost of forgiving like this is absorbing this man's unrighteousness and your unrighteousness and my unrighteousness and the penalty for it. In which case, we very clearly see that Jesus is not only willing, but massively strong to bear our sins away. He is willing to move towards sinners in this kind of contact, and he is able to deal with our greatest problem, and therefore, in time, all of our other problems, right, by the strength of his character to bear our sins away. So at the conclusion of our two passages, we see in Jesus that what we need is uniquely found in Jesus. He is both willing and strong to deliver. He unites in his person both mercy and majesty. For that reason, he is uniquely worthy of our worship because he alone can deliver. It's been our goal this morning to stir up a sense of our satisfaction in Jesus for who he is. If we can help you with that, if I can help you with that, uh, if the elders can help you with that, uh, in the aftermath of the service, to elaborate on that further, to pray for you in particular, they would be happy. I know I would be happy to talk. David's going to come and, and, and lead us in uh, the Lord's Supper and in a closing song. And as he does, maybe just take a moment to reflect where you are on the willingness of Jesus to meet you in your weakness and uncleanness and the strength of Jesus to deliver you from the wages of your sin.